I knew that there were a lot of things that I wanted to explore and I just thought that it needed I needed space to be able to find what that was. So my decision wasn't to go on to something else. My decision was to step back from what I was doing. And so people find that a little bit difficult to wrap their heads around because they're happy for it for you to be exploring that path for say a limited amount of time but once it gets to the third month or fourth month you start getting the no but really what are you going to do kind of questions hi everyone welcome to melbourne reconnect i'm paul medhurst with andy nugent and we have our guest today scott alchemate welcome hi there pleasure to be here thanks for coming through scotty Andy, you know Scotty a little bit better than I do, so I'll um, I'll let you give marginally better than you do, Paulie. Um, Scott is a valued member of ours here at uh, Beyond Rest, Um, and he's got a pretty interesting story. From um, Scott's made the transition from the corporate world um, to a more alternative way of living, I guess. You'd say, Scott, so do you want to give us a bit of a backstory on uh, how it is that you came to be a member at Beyond Rest Collingwood? Sure. I, um, I've spent probably 10 years working in the infrastructure industry, and so I found my way here just through developing meditation practices after doing yoga. So uh, I came here as a way to wind down after a tough work week without really knowing it, what to expect. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been really interesting seeing the difference since finishing up work earlier this year. Um, cool. And what was it that you did for work? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was running an infrastructure company, so we were upgrading underground gas infrastructure around the CBD. Right. So I did that for 10 years, which was a very interesting challenge, but it was mostly just working and sleeping and that's all. So what would your kind of day consist of there? Would you be overseeing or you went on the tools? Yeah, I was on the tools as well. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. So we had a crew of about eight, eight blokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were on site from 6.30 in the morning each morning. And yeah, it was, um, I mean, you can you can see all of the the construction works and the, the infrastructure works going around in the city at the moment, that's what it looked like each day. So, yeah. A lot, <laughs> a lot of banging, a lot of rattling, yeah. hard hats, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a complicated job, which was very good for all of us um, at the time. But, yeah, it's time for something new now. Cool. Nice one. Yeah, I mean, 10 years of all that's... Well, because gonna... I, when I first started, I was... A pup. I was 22, so it was young to be that much involved in in running a company. Gotcha. Um, and it wasn't as crazy when I first started, but each year it got bigger as the company expanded and as the work got more complicated. So it was a bit of a yeah. It was the ebbs and flows in the beginning, but um, by the end, it was yeah, it was it was quite a monster. Pretty full on, yeah. How did you find your way into the industry? Did you study it at uni? No, I did commerce economics at uni. It okay. was through my dad. Cool. So I grew up doing it for beer money, basically, when I was yep. at, at school and uni, and always swore that I would never <laughs> go down that path. And then 
after uni, I moved to Spain for 12 months and yeah, I just had a moment while I was in Spain that I thought, well, why not? I'll give it a shot for a little while. I'll come back and do it for six months. And so I moved back from Spain and yeah, it lasted 10 years. Well, how old are you now? Uh, about to turn 34. Awesome. So how far along the 10 year career did you start to think this is for me or, you know, was there a point where you were really into it and you thought this is going to be the you work? Know, you? Yeah. This is going to be you for I, until you I retire? Was, or I was, was it always... living it and breathing it completely until yep. about year eight or nine. Yep. Yeah. So especially because it was so difficult to, to win contracts, you never knew how long it was going to last. Yep. So it was the whole make hay while the sunshine sort of mentality. So yep. I was working as though each year was probably going to be my last year. Yeah. And then we'd win another big contract and it would continue on for another 12 or 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until about year eight or nine that I could see that it wasn't sustainable that I was starting to crack. And yep. so that was also the time that I found my way into yoga and meditation and things. Yep. So, because I think there'd be quite a few people that can relate to what you're saying about being in an industry which, you know, you're throwing everything into because it's kind of what you do at that time in your life. If you're in it, you may as well mm. go for it. Um, how did the doubts talk us through the period where you like where you started to think, hang on, um, I need cracks. to start. Yeah, cracks. the yeah. You know, how do you was it just thoughts at the end of a long day? Was it was it behaviors that you were getting into that you weren't sort of know that you weren't sustainable or how I did it start to unravel a bit? Um especially in our case, because I was playing such a big part of the of a lot of the roles in the company. Um I followed on from my dad and it was a real mum and dad company at that point. Dad taking care of the, the operational side and my mum the administration side, the account side. And so when I got in, I sort of modelled myself on the way they were doing things and we kept things nice and small. Mm -hmm. But then over the years, things got bigger and bigger and I was still trying to, trying to do so much of it myself. Um, and... Yeah, it was just getting to the point where there weren't enough hours in the day. So it wasn't um, it wasn't an immediate thing. There wasn't a big shift that changed the way the company ran. It was just as the months pass, there's more and more things that need to be done. And I it's I started to realize, oh, I don't remember having to work Sunday mornings before, or I used to have at least some time on the weekend, or. So by by the end, they were seven day weeks consistently, and there were just too many sacrifices. There was, you know, missing people's weddings, saying no to catching up with friends that are in town from overseas, all of those type of things. And I think that it was that emotional toll that was starting to to really make me reconsider things. Um, and just you know, ten years was a, lot, a big chunk of my life to give to it. And so, I, I even remember my mum saying to me, you're only in your 30s once, Scott, and that's true. So, if I'd done it another 10 years and lost another 10 years to it, mm. it would have been, that's a significant sacrifice. Yeah. And I was thinking, you mentioned your mum there. What part did your parents play in it? Were they, was there pressure from your parents to be involved, to build it up? Were they, no, no, were you doing that, it on your own terms? They were very, very supportive. Awesome. Um, my dad had an incredibly good work ethic, which I think I inherited. Mm -hmm. So he could see how 
challenging it was, but he sort of felt that he trained me to take that on. So it wasn't pressure to continue in a particular direction, but he understood the gravity of it, but he also thought that I was well-equipped to deal with it, which for a long time I was. Mm -hmm. So from that side, yeah, it was. I had a very supportive family, which made things a lot easier. Cool. Yeah, it's funny like with what, um, you know, when Paul asked before, like when did the cracks start appearing, I think that would be also something that a lot of people could relate to not, you know, they're not being this like one reckoning, you know, this one yeah. moment that just like shakes it all up. It's like, you know, if you're blasting seven day weeks, it's just going to be one of those things that it's like a really slow burn because you're like, I'm making good money. You know, I'm busy because I'm working all the time and, you know, I think um, some people almost wear that as a bit of a badge of honour, you know, like they're working so much that, man, I couldn't go to the wedding or I couldn't yeah. do this or that and it's like, you know, that's cool sometimes but, um, you know, there's going to come a time where it all kind of falls apart. I think too just it was, it was an incredibly stressful job and for a, a very long time, I knew that it was stressful, but it wasn't sort of it wasn't getting a handle on me. It wasn't finding a way in. Yeah. And I think just because the the pace of everything was so relentless that towards the latter years my body was starting to break down a bit and then, you know, the the fatigue was starting to build up and then those extra stresses from the job started to have more of an effect on me. So For things sure. that in the past I could, there was just like water off a duck's, duck's back, mm. was starting to kind of find their way in and really agitate me. Right. And so I knew something needed to change. I just wasn't sure how to do it. And so, and the other thing too is that you can't, you can't finish mid-contract. Like if you've got an 18-month job ahead of you, I can't just pull the pin halfway and say, well. It's a little much. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, the little stuff starting to affect me. I'm out, dad. Yeah. So I started to think about what was going to happen once the last contract finished and that's when I went into sort of self-preservation mode and that's when I was yoga, meditation, healthy eating, focusing on my sleep, all of those things because I thought I've got a long way to go and I'm already starting to get a bit wobbly. Right. Um, I want to make sure that I come out the other end with my sanity intact and my body no. mostly functional. So what was the first time you sat down or the first yoga class like were you like you did a little bit of youtube or had you read some books was uh, it totally new to you or had you you know been it was pretty new the way it happened was i'd had a uh usually the only time i shut the company down was between christmas and new year's mm -hmm. so we'd have that week off or maybe sometimes two and i remember starting a year getting back to work at the beginning of january after having a pretty heavy uh, heavy break, socializing and partying and whatnot mm -hmm. and getting back and just feeling rinsed Yeah, and thinking next year I need to do something that's going to take me away from, you know, from burning myself out in the one time of year that I really should be rejuvenating. Mm -hmm. And so I'd never been to a yoga class in my life, but I booked into a, a seven-day yoga retreat in Byron nice. over, over New Year's thinking, well, that's a good way to, to have a good to detox a year, and yeah. to, yeah, just to, to avoid burning the candle at both ends. 
And in the lead up to that, um, one of my friends, she told me that, well, if you're going to go and do seven days of yoga, you better make sure that you can at least make it through one class. And so, she was a member here at Power Living and took me along there. And so, yeah, that was the beginning of my my yoga journey. How did you feel after the retreat going back to work? Really good. Even just um, not having a phone for a week was a revelation. That was something that I didn't even think of before going into the retreat. But um, yeah, with while I'm at work, I was on call at all times. I mean, I didn't even have a work phone. I just had my personal number, which was given out. So, I was reachable always and I'd always have my phone on me. So, there were a lot of other things. I mean, the yoga practice was really good, but that was sort of the penny dropped when I realized how many other things I got out of it, it made me realize kind of the extreme lifestyle that I was living. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like when you take that minute, I mean, after a decade of blasting seven, you know, seven-day weeks, that that um, the first time you have a stretch or the first time you sit down to meditate, it's always going to be pretty turbulent and I think that's where a lot of people kind of trip up is like that first one they think oh this is going to make me feel really good you know like my mind's going to clear all this kind of stuff and it's like if you're sitting down with 10 years of hard work and not much meditation or yoga it's going to be really tricky and probably for the first couple of times you do it you know weirdly that actually made me much more interested in it. Right. So, when I had my first couple of – the first couple of times I tried to meditate and my first yoga sessions, they were really tough and it caught me by surprise a little bit because my opinion of it was that it was this nice, airy, yeah. relaxing practice. For sure. And when it was really challenging, that made me believe that there was really something in it. Right. And it also made me think that without – having the stress of the work life would have would I have found my way there anyway gotcha because I don't know whether early 20s Scott would have had a reason a re- well, yeah. or a reason to go and seek something like that out because gotcha. he was carefree and responsibility free and then you know the idea to sit down to clear your mind well what did he have to worry about what did he have to clear you know For sure so I feel like yeah, that this was sort of this helped me find that path, uh-huh. which was yeah, it was a tough one, but yeah, how long? Because I think that's, I mean, the main not um, problem, but I guess the main hurdle for everyone is starting, you know. And it's like, I think um, yoga is a funny place to start, especially for men, because you're um, you're going into a room full like generally speaking full of attractive in shape women and if you're flexible like a, flexible women yeah <laughs> and you know and a couple of guys too but i think um as much as you know the guys out there like to think like oh man that's heaven not particularly if you're not too au fait with you know yoga and that kind of thing it's really intimidating and i you know i can't speak for women i'm sure it would be the same for them it's just an uncomfortable thing like you're 
really sweaty, you know, you're slipping around, you don't know what all the poses are and that kind of thing. So I think like that is quite a, um, you know, a barrier for entry. Yeah, it's a, a bit of, of a hurdle. Yeah, for a lot of people because they're just like, is there re- something a little bit easier that I, you know, quicker and easier that I can do? I was really lucky that I had a friend to bring me to my first classes. Mm-hmm. So that definitely put you more at ease. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in my f- I, I got an intro pass, which was unlimited for the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I was then taking myself to other classes. And yeah, walking into, say, a Saturday morning class with 50 students on the mat is, yeah, it's kind it's, of intimidating. It's a, it, it definitely is. And, but that also works the other way too, in that once you, relax a little bit and you start to recognize faces in the class it actually helps because you get there and it feels comfortable and once the class starts you can feed off each other's energy so in the beginning it's a bit of a hurdle but it actually really helps with the momentum after a little while definitely and and then i think you kind of get to the point where you're like oh i'm not meant to be looking around i'm just meant to be concentrating on like and the instructors obviously that um is laid out for everyone and rem- everybody's reminded of that often, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult for your brain to really yeah. g- grasp right. that yeah, at, at sure. times. So, like, There's a lot to look at in here. Yeah, and just it's really hard to be trying your best at something and not comparing your progress to everybody else on the for mats sure. around you. For and sure. so, And when you're new as well, you have the – Am I doing it right? Is this what it's supposed to look like? And so, even if it's not necessarily a competitive outlook, There's you're just you're looking for cues to understand, yeah. yeah, how you're going. For sure. What do you guys do yoga for? What's the? I, I mean, there's something to drew, that drew you to your yoga, and you obviously too. Um, what do you do it for? And has that changed? Has the reason why you're doing it changed? from the first time that you decided to go? Yeah, for sure. Scott and I were just having a quick chat earlier and I was just saying um, I think I started yoga for just something else other than like going to the gym and lifting weights. Um, I'd always liked the idea of it. I maybe did a couple of very entry-level classes when I was in high school, you know, with a couple of friends, like super – super entry level kind of stuff um and then yes i guess to answer your question just a bit of fitness that was you know a bit of mobility stretching and that kind of thing um but i was saying to scott before it's definitely changed i'm probably doing it solidly for maybe 18 months and only in the last like month or so um have the pennies started dropping moving away from this is what the pose is meant to look like to how does my body feel in the pose if I back off a little bit, you know, and not be trying to like muscle my way in and, and do like the the uh, the most challenging version of that pose. It's like, mm. oh, right, okay. And then, yeah, I, I find that for me now it's um it's moving more and more away from like a fitness and flexibility um, kind of exercise just more to, um, you know, like what floating or, or meditation is for me, but just with, I think the movement components 
so important, you know, like sitting down and meditating is one thing, but to be meditating while you're moving around and yeah, pushing your body into these dynamic form of meditation. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's why I did it, mate. Scotty, we know why. We, we know what brought you there, but how, is that, you know, why do you do it now? Is it similar? Uh, I've had a bit of a break from yoga, actually. Um, I, when I first started going, I had real issues with my mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had probably 12 years of playing basketball really seriously when I was growing up and punishing my body. And so I was carrying a few injuries and then my work life as well was creating a lot of imbalances. So I remember when I first started going, when I, in the first couple of classes that I went to, I assumed that I had really tight hamstrings. And then I got in and realized that I have really tight everything. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, a very steep learning curve when I first started out. And I really liked the escape from my brain. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, it's it's interesting how different personalities react in class. But for me, I wanted a class that was really going to push me because that gave me something to focus on and and everything else sort of faded into the background work-wise. So I was coming in straight straight after work to the to the studio and 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 looking for a really powerful or dynamic class, having a good sweat. Um, and so even though what brought me there was um, my mobility issues, the thing that the, the most important thing that I was getting out of it was mental. Um and so I was coming from a long way back, flexibility-wise, which was which made it really tough. And so, kind of like Andy was saying, I realised after a little while that just trying to push your limits is not always the best way forward. Mm-hmm. And just to, to to sit back a little bit. So then I started to go to a few of the slower Yin classes. And um, yeah, I've had a little bit of a break since finishing. Once I once I closed the company. I stopped everything for a few months just because I felt like I had all of these band-aids on so many different things to kind of keep me upright that once the company finished, I wanted to get right back to my base and then slowly introduce things again. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been floating and I've had a bit of a break this year from yoga, but I'll find my way back there again eventually. Cool. I think it'd be hard to run a yoga studio and to be involved heavily in that scene. Because it's like you're offering a service, but there's so many <coughs> reasons that people are going. And, and I reckon it would be hard to create that environment without creating a whole scene around it, you know, where people come in with that kind of yoga smile all the time. And, you know, like it's a, it's a yeah. kind of a funny thing. You know, I think yoga is great and it should be open to all and welcomed by all and I think a couple of the studios we've been to, I think a reason why I enjoy power living and that just seems pretty kind of real. Um, yeah. Because like anything, there can be a whole scene around it and people are, have that kind of weird painted on smile and they're, you know, overly polite and it kind of annoys me a bit. So I think for sure it would be hard to run it and do it in a way where you're not creating a, a kind of a facade for people. Definitely. And yeah, to pump the tires of power living, I think like that's why – you know, after trying a couple of studios around Melbourne, that was kind of one that I landed on just because the the teachers there are real, you know. It's like there is, um, you know, the like 
cute yoga wear and all that kind of stuff flying around there. But at the end of the day, they're just like regular people. You know, we know all the um, all the teachers there. They're they're really great, and I think they do a good job of just keeping it very sincere there. You know, um, and yeah, I guess like I think go go. Yeah, I think the um, a lot of the there's different studios have different vibes mm. and have different style teachers. Mm-hmm. And so I think power living worked amazingly for me. Yeah. Um, but some people try a few different studios before they sort of find the one that fits for just sure. the style of class and the style of teacher and just the way that it's all run. Mm. So even though they're a bit, they're all a bit seamy, you can sort of find the, for sure. I guess, look like, there's sceney places because there's scenesters, you know what mm. I mean? There's people that that's they would go to Power Living and be like, mm, I don't know about this place, like, you know, and then they'd go to a sceney place and be like, yeah, these are my people, which is, you know, I mean, we might turn our noses up, but that's like, you know, just the way it is. It's like they're catering to a certain type of person who wants to get a certain type of, you know, this or that out of the class. So, as long as there's those people, there'll be those kind of places, I guess. But, yeah, that's why I like it down there because they just keep it pretty plain and simple. Good workout. There's other classes, you know, from beginner, yin, all that kind of stuff. Roll and release. Have you ever done one of them? No. I reckon you'd get down on yeah. that for sure. Um, I think that's why I quite like floating and what we do here because mm. it's kind of hard to make a – it's not – an easy thing to make a scene around, you know, like it caters to all types. Um, corporate scene, hippie scene, everything in between. Um, and it's really you in a tank. There's not too much yeah, there's yeah. nonsense. Oh, that can plenty be, of separation. <laughs> yeah, that can be built up around it. Yeah, you're not um, on show. Yeah. It's a very kind of personal experience, which sure. is what, you know, like going back to the yoga thing, that's what it's kind of meant to be you know, like a pretty personal introspective experience, but it is quite difficult, especially when you're starting out to really get that, um, to really have that experience with so many other people in the room um, with, you know, you might have a few inhibitions, body image issues, that kind of thing. It's really tricky to kind of have an inward experience. Exactly. Which I think um, would draw a lot of people to floating. Just Mm. the fact that, um, you know, like, yeah, you're in the nude, but you got your own little room. No one's going to, you know, be looking at you or anything like that. So I think, yeah, like it can be a good stepping stone into the other forms of, um, you know, self-care and that kind of thing. Um, but Scott, I'm interested in the closing of the business. In- so it's it's done. There's no... Yeah, it's so the... Uh, we finished our last contract in May. Yeah. Um, and so there was, there's a lot of um, admin to do with, with the winding up of all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's taken me most of this year. Gotcha. Uh, the first thing that I did when I closed was I went and booked in for two weeks of skydiving in the Gamby. <laughs> nice. And so I threw. Two weeks. Yeah, I threw myself out of a plane 19 times. Nice. And I just needed i needed a disconnect. I needed something that was going to take my entire focus and squeeze everything else out. 
mm-hmm. even just for a, a moment in time. And so that was a very effective nice. way of doing that. And then I came back a lot more level and ready mm-hmm. to deal with, with what needed to happen in the coming months. So, nice. yeah, it was, I always knew that it wasn't going to be a, a quick turnaround. So I knew that I was going to need to sort of pace my way through it for the rest of the year. For sure. And then, yeah, we'll see what 2019 brings. Nice. I want to go a little bit more into it. So, again, just, you know, being relatable to other people because there's probably other people out there that run businesses that are, yeah. you know, thinking of making a change. There's a lot that comes with it. There's a lot of people who depend on you. Um, go into as much depth as you want, but kind of talk us through how do you wind down a business with a conscience, be true to yourself, treat people well, and transition in a way where you're not going to be looking over your own shoulder about what you've done. Because I think um, it would stop a lot of people from making a change because so many other people rely on them. I th- that The biggest thing, obviously, is that you have employees. Mm-hmm. And so, us, us finishing up meant that I had guys that had been very loyal and it had, had put in a lot of hard work for the company that we're then going to have to find a new place to work. So that was obviously just jumping out. (laughs) (laughs) So that was obviously one of my, one of the first thoughts going through my head when we first started thinking about winding up. Um, But at the same time, the industry that we were working in has only got a couple of more years worth of work. So we we would have had to evolve anyway into something else. Mm -hmm. Um, the thing that was really good was that because we had such a good reputation, it was very easy for our men to move on to other other positions. Mm-hmm. So that was um, that made the whole transition process very easy. If I think if we'd finished up and I had half my men sitting at home unemployed or finding it hard to sort of put food on the table, that would have really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. How many guys did you have? Eight. Okay. Yeah. So it was quite quite a small crew, but um, yeah, that was enough. Yeah. Um, and so we knew that also the work, given that I was already working probably outside of my limits, continuing on the work was only going to get more and more complicated. The jobs were going to get bigger and more stressful. And I think if I hadn't stopped, my body would have stopped me and it would have been a disaster if I'd made it halfway through a contract and then had a breakdown or a, you know, really hit the wall because, uh, yeah, I'd sort of, the way that I'd structured the company was that I'd built it around my own input. Mm-hmm. So I probably, there's a lesson in delegation and things in there for... <laughs> That's for another time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, even though I started thinking about an end goal probably around year eight, year nine. By the time we got to that last contract, I knew that whether I wanted to or not that I wasn't going to be able to go on. Mm -hmm. And so it was, yeah, I needed to to start thinking about how that was all going to play out and how we were going to look after everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was a slow process, but it – 
it happened. Mm-hmm. And looking after yourself as well, I guess, because uh, transitionings, there's a lot of things to take into consideration in terms of, well, I'm going to be leaving this job, but I want to have a year to explore myself or my other interests, which means that you're going to need to tuck some cash away. Did you kind of approach that methodically or did you just have more of a – I think it's an interesting – I think it's an interesting question because I'm asking it. But um, <laughs> I just know from my transition from footy, it was a little ungrounded. Like I was very much – everything's just going to work out because I'm following my heart, which is nice. Yeah. However, if I'd been more practical – I wouldn't have encountered some problems that I ended up encountering. So walk us through how you tackled that. For me, it was strange because I'd had a brain that was only filled with work for so long. Like I was saying, I was on call at all times. So when it finished, it was we had, we had a few issues uh, in the aftermath of closing that I was still going to a lot of meetings. There was still a lot of admin and stuff that needed to be done. And in a way, that was probably good because it wasn't just an abrupt end. Mm-hmm. It didn't just – it wasn't like the rug just disappeared out from under me. And yeah, then you kind of weaned yourself off. So, it was a bit – which at the time really was awful because I thought that it was – this was supposed to be the end and all of this other stuff kept rearing its head, which was a pain to deal with then. But in hindsight, it was maybe a bit more stabilizing. Um it was one thing that was weird was then meeting people and them asking what you do mm-hmm. because for 10 years that was, you know, that can be a whole conversation. Um, and so to sort of, I remember the first time somebody asked me and I wasn't even sure how to respond. Am I between jobs? Am I, yeah, like, I'm you a know? skydive instructor in the game. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it made me realize that that was quite a big part of my identity up until that point. And even though I was happy for the new step, I wasn't sure what that was. And my plan going in was always to not have a plan. So, my friends were jokingly calling it the year of yes. Um, cool. So, it was, It's. I think I'm still figuring all of that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I was lucky. I mean, one of the um, one of the things that came out of working seven day weeks was that there's no time to do anything else, and so you don't spend any money. Mm-hmm. And so, I was lucky that when I finished, I didn't have to quickly rustle up another job. I hadn't done anything stupid that was going to require me to to quickly find more income coming in. So. Um, yeah, I was I was lucky that it really did give me space where I could say I don't really have any responsibilities at all at this point. Yep. I think that's smart because if you don't take all of the factors into consideration other than the fact that I just want to make a change and it's all going to work out, you end up putting on a, a lot of undue pressure on yourself and on sure. other people around you. I mean, I don't think you have got kids <coughs> or a partner that relied on you, but some people do. Um I think, too, I knew that there were a lot of things that I wanted to explore and I just thought that it needed I needed space to be able to find what that was. So, my decision wasn't to go on to something else. My decision was to step back from what I was doing. And so, 
people find that a little bit difficult to wrap their heads around because they're happy for it for you to be exploring that path for say a limited amount of time but once it gets to the third month or fourth month you start getting the no but really what are you going to do kind of questions because um, I think that that kind of I think that's a real kind of projection of the uh, the question asker you know what I mean it's like oh shit that'd be kind of cool not to have to wake up to do anything tomorrow you know I'm like I, I feel that that makes people a little bit uncomfortable you know the fact that you're like I'm stepping back and I'm just going to yeah, see, you know, like I think that that, um, on the one hand, like of course people care about you and they're like, shit. I hope he's not just gonna go off and, you know, be skydiving and doing yoga for the rest of his life. But yeah, I think that a lot of the time it's just that's a real part of them that is kind of burning back there. They're like, shit. I'm doing the nine to five grind geez, it'd be nice to just head up to Nagambi for a little while yeah. and like not have to come back to work afterwards, you know? I think my dad's finding it a little bit difficult because he's saying to me, but what do I tell people when they ask? Yeah. What am I supposed to say? that you? Because you've had a holiday and you've been skydiving and you've done this, but now you're back here and so... Yeah, make something up, Dad. Yeah, exactly. So, it's... Because that was going to be my next question, like the company being something that your folks had built up and you'd stepped into, were they on board with the, like, shutting down after the last contract? My mum definitely was. Yeah. Because she could see what was going on. Yeah. And my dad is supportive, but he, for him, he doesn't understand, especially he came from very humble beginnings and built everything from scratch Mm -hmm. and he understands needing a change and he understands needing to move on to something else, but he doesn't understand taking the step into nothing. Yeah. He doesn't understand the not having the next thing lined up. So, uh, yeah, that's, I think Definitely like a bit of a generational thing as well. Yeah, definitely. That's like baby boomer times you weren't looking within. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're putting food on the table. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, Anything that doesn't pay the bills is like you're not doing anything, you know. Whereas, like, I think, um, you know, what we were talking about before, like stepping into nothing, you're kind of you're stepping into something that just keeps opening and opening the more you, you know, look into it. You and know? that so was what was the most exciting thing for me. Yeah, that was that was what I wanted. I wanted that moment of having nothing, mm-hmm. um, and so. That freaks a lot of people out. Yeah. Um, Did it scare you at all? Were you like, fuck, maybe we should just blast one more contract? No. no. I, I, I definitely <laughs> didn't get that. Um, in fact, if anything, it cemented my decision. Gotcha. It, I think as well, one of the things that had kept everything running was just my own momentum mm-hmm. and then stepping out and seeing what, how much energy and what that was taking to continue. I think the thought of trying to go back, it'd be like jumping on a moving treadmill or, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's funny because people get their heads around it, but then as more time goes on, then they start to question it again. Yeah. So, it's, it sort of needs to be quantifiable for people to. Yeah. It has to be a start and an end day. Yeah, 
you know, that's I'll really spend cool. X amount on this and then mm. I'll, you know, go back or whatever. Yeah. It just, I think when, when people make such definitive long-term plans, you miss a lot of the, the synchronicity or yeah. the, there's all of the little coincidences or the little paths that you can take are lost because you've got the blinkers on looking at what you, where you're going to be in five years. Mm. And, you know, that's what, I mean, I was just, I definitely had the blinkers on and consciously because there was, there was a job at hand. Whereas now, rather than deciding I'm going to start working towards being here in two years, I'm just sort of trying to take some, break it down into smaller steps and just seeing where each week, where each month leads. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I kind of look at it like seasons. You go through different seasons in your life and you, you know, your soul has different seasons of the soul or whatever just sort of came to mind. But, um, and if you're true to them, then there'll be times when you back off and you introspect and you go into nothing and then there'll be an impetus to move back out and share whatever insight you got. So it's not like you're going to be in free fall for the next 50 years of your life. Yeah. Other people get scared that you're going to fall into this spiritual, you know, rabbit warren that you're never going to be able to get yourself out of. And I think people do, mm. but I feel that it's it's seasonal. You go, you go, and then you'll take insight, and then you'll move out with a new idea and share it. I think that's the way that there's no should, should, shoulds or shouldn'ts, but in my opinion, that's the way it kind of should be. You mm. shouldn't fall into this thing of nothing or because I, I feel spirituality is as much of a, of a trap as the corporate life, to yeah. be completely honest. And I think people fall way into that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they use it as an excuse and they just end up being on, basically doing the same thing, but Nine instead of saying, spirituality. I'm going for it, I'm going to earn money, I'm going to, you know, get a great house there. Well, you know, I'm going for it, I'm not going to earn money and I'm so cool yeah. and I don't need to do that. So... Um, I think it's really one thing that was really good about first venturing into, say, power living and to places like this is that... You are exposed. There's always going to be a more extreme version of yourself at both ends of the of the spectrum, mm. but just being exposed to those people really helps you understand that there's not only one way. Yeah. And so, when you're living the corporate lifestyle or you're working like that, you're rubbing shoulders with a lot of other people that are also living that lifestyle, and you're sort of all bolstering and justifying it. Mm-hmm to each other but then when you break away from that a little bit and you you kind of dip your toe in the water somewhere else you start to see well oh well hang on these people are only they're not working seven day weeks and they seem fine mm. and then you know your, your perspective starts to change mm-hmm. and you can follow that as far as you want so i think yeah it's about finding that that sweet spot in the middle that works for you but uh, and understanding that there is op- there's options and there's not just one way to to approach so floating i remember when you first came in for your first i was i chatted to you on your one of your first or second floats i think yeah. you booked in the arjuna light and yeah yeah i wasn't here for it so um but i remember <laughs> <laughs> you you rocked up and there was like a real there were, i could tell that this was like a new chapter for you you were very I kind of put the get right onto yep. it okay yep. um yeah, you were right into your mouth. You're at the point of you. You were starting a new venture of unplugging and unwinding and kind of unraveling yourself from the momentum of your previous decade. So, how, talk to us about floating, particularly, and how that's helped you. Insights you've gained. How does it 
interact with your yoga and yeah, yeah. other parts of your life? So I had floated maybe three years ago at another um, centre while I was still working and I went maybe four or five times. Um, it was difficult because I had such limited time that I'd ha- have to allocate here is my one hour to quickly go and relax and meditate. And so I'd rush off to the center, get a quick float in and then head back to work. And so it was good. It was effective, but I think because it was, there was so much chaos around it that it was difficult to really sort of drop into it. So it was really interesting once I started coming here. And I think I, think I started just before the end of work. So I think the first couple of sessions that I had, I was still working. Yeah, because I remember you're like, "Oi, I'm pulling the eject cord." Yeah, it's <laughs> the end is nigh. Yeah, uh, and so it was really interesting to see the difference from when I was rushing here on a weekend after work to being able to come on a Tuesday morning, or and you know not have to fight traffic to get here and to just come. Uh, yeah, a, a little bit in a little bit more relaxed state. Um, it's always interesting. I mean, the slogans everywhere of expect nothing always amuses me because especially people that are driven and the people that are, you know, really into self-improvement and things like that, they're obviously coming to something like this because there's something about it that's that they're curious about or that they're they're intrigued by something but they're here because they want to know something they want to know what it is and it's a real difficult thing to wrap your head around to then say oh but i'm not going to have any expectation of the experience at all um and it's actually the more i've floated the more that makes sense because my floats are so different that it makes me realize that there's no point having a preconceived idea of how my float's going to be or what effect it's going to have because after however many I've done now, I'm still surprised where I get out of the tank and, you know, have a check-in with you guys and I'll be like, that was a really weird one or something happened that's never happened before or something's come up that's never come up before. So, it's I'm still definitely navigating exactly what the float creates it's that's the thing that fascinates me even more. I like it that it's not after a couple of weeks, oh, I've figured this out, I know what this is all about now, mm-hmm. and it's a run-of-the-mill routine. I like it that they're, they're so varied. For sure. I, I think the, um, the expect-nothing thing is I find even more interesting with the float because, like, your expectation is... I think to have an expectation with floating, you're you're almost always setting yourself up for failure or or disappointment because yeah. I think very rarely, speaking from personal experience, will I walk into the tank being like, fuck, I hope I get my ass kicked in there tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm always thinking with floating, this is going to make it better, make it easier you know, I, I'm well aware of the storms that can, yeah. you know, come about in the tank. But I think expect nothing 
you, especially with floating, even with meditation, yoga, and all sorts of you know other stuff, is because it's in the realm of health, wellness, spirituality, yada yada yada. You always think, well, this is doing me good, you know. And I, with the floating, you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then you go in and you get the rug pulled out from under you, and you're like, fucking hell, all this, you know, traumatic repressed stuff come up like it's not always going to be like that but sometimes that can happen you're laying still you're by yourself there's nothing to distract you like if there's some stuff down there it might come up so i think like the expect nothing thing is is like so important with the floating because you know you might be feeling really good and you're like this is going to be great and jump in there and then all of a sudden you're like oh god this is like pretty challenging you know, I think that's a very similar hurdle to a lot of the practices. It's it's similar to the instructors telling you not to worry about what the person on the mat next to you is doing in mm. a yoga class. And I think it's something that you hear when you first arrive, but it takes, for most people, I think, takes a little bit of time to really understand yeah. the gravity sure. of it. Um, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. Expect nothing. But like, I'm paying some money for this. Yeah, exactly. It's a real contradiction in your brain to say, well, I've, you know, I've come here, I've paid money, I've made the effort to be here. Now I'm in the tank. And it's awful. Well, what's going on? Well, for me, it wasn't so much. My expectations weren't that it was going to be positive. It was more that something was going to happen that would be interesting experience. Yeah. So the expect nothing thing for means probably something a bit different to me now in just that it's not going to be a defined outcome Mm -hmm. and even nothing is an outcome. (laughs) So sometimes I get out of a float and I don't even really have much to say about what the experience was like. It's just been a big blackout just about and then other times i get out and it's you know i can sit here and talk shit for an hour yeah. afterwards so i think that's an interesting point i think we have expect nothing on the door because as a general rule people are going in there being like oh this is gonna be fucking crazy yeah and they're yeah. overly stimulated and there's so much other time um for for something to be going on but it's not always the case we have we have people that come in that float regularly and they go in there with an intent. They want to problem solve on something. Or we have some people come in and they're excited because they know that they are going to get a chance to think about something they really need resolution on. So mm. expect nothing, again, can be a bit, can end up being becoming a bit of a thing mm. if we're kind of pushing, don't have any expectations. It really depends on what what you're doing, what you're trying to, you know, what's going on in your life. So sometimes you can go in there with a real kind of laser-like focus to to, to get insight on mm. something. But I think just for the for for the general balance of the people we get in, that's a time when and for myself, I mean I don't really go in there with intent much. I'd, yeah. Do you, I do, have you ever been like, oh tonight I'm gonna I've gone in there more looking for some emotional support from myself mm-hmm. that seems that sounds weird but i've gone in there wanting to feel a bit better about something in my life mm-hmm. and kind of gone in there more with the feeling of oh, i just want to feel i just want to feel more supported mm-hmm. in myself about it so it's not 
it's a hard thing to describe, but I, when I've done that, I have come out feeling maybe a, a little surrender. Yeah, just a bit more comfortable that a bit more comfortable in myself. Mm. Um, but usually, I mean, I, I like not doing anything. Mm. Like, there's so many responsibilities and expectations mm. in the rest of my life. I love going in there, and no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm not answerable to anyone. And it's just, I, I like not trying. Mm. I, I love when I get into the bed at the end of the night and for the next eight hours, I don't have to try. <laughs> I really like it. I mean, I, I hate trying all the time. I find mm. it so tiring to always have to come up with a solution, to always kind of have, even in your own mind, to have to answer the questions that your own mind asks you. Mm. You can't get drawn into that trap. I just find kind of tiring. So, I like the tank just gives you an opportunity to not try without going to bed. Sure. I think, um, you know, every now and then I'll get that question like, oh, you know, what, like, what do you do when you're, when you're in there, especially for um, like people that are quite new to it. And, you know, I see the disappointment in their face when I'm like, you know, the, the classic float center guy, like, I just jump in there and see what happens, you know? Yeah, and they're yeah. like, well, fuck, you know, <laughs> throw me a bone. I'm in there, you know, splashing around, trying to have some sort of awakening. But they're, they're the ones that, you know, that they're the floats that I get the most out of when I, you know, really jump in there, just have a shower, jump in, turn off the light and just stay still. And... You know, I don't think I'm quite at the point where intention setting, you know, I think my mind's still a little bit like oh, buzzy when I when I jump in and, and I that's I kind of trip myself up a little bit with that being like, oh, tonight I want to go in and, and think about this and then I'll get in, that will dissolve in seconds and all of a sudden I'll be thinking about some other stuff or feeling some sensation in my body and that's gone and then I get out and I'm a little bit like, mm. So, I think early on, I kind of, um, yeah, would just, my aim in there was to do nothing, you know, and I think like we're kind of in, I guess, just in general, like if you're doing nothing, you're a piece of shit, right? Like if you're not striving, you're not trying, yeah, yeah like if not you're doing nothing, it's like, but I think in that nothing like there's so much in that nothing do you, you can sit back and and see it for what it is you know what i mean it's not just like i hear the um i'm trying to clear my mind in there and that takes a lot of practice to be able to sit in that do you space. use any techniques no none and like i'm not kind of you know trying to be the float legend when i say that scott but like yeah. legitimately nothing you know, if if I feel a little bit of anxiety, like I usually feel that a little bit through my chest, I'll just breathe a little deeper. Yeah. But literally, the only thing I'm trying to do is not move. Yeah. Because the more you move in there, you're getting a little bit, um, a bit of noise from the water lapping. You get a bit of touch from the water running across your skin. Um, every time you move, you're stimulating. And I think like the whole point of it generally speaking is to not be stimulated so you can really watch what's going on um so yeah i remember after maybe a year of floating pretty regularly 
I had this one session where I just, I wasn't trying not to move, but I didn't move for like two hours and the music came on at the end and I was like, holy shit. I figured it out. Well, yeah, like for me, where I was at at that time, because I was like, you know, going in there trying for like this crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, going in there expecting, going in there, you read all this shit, you listen to Joe Rogan and all that kind of stuff and you're like, okay, cool. Like if I just keep going in there, something will happen. But that was such a um, great turning point because I was like, oh, there's all this stuff that I'm missing. Even if I'm just scratching my face, you know, even if I'm like, shit, my nose is itchy, like I'll give that a scratch and then my float will continue and it will be better because my face isn't itchy. You know, but just laying there and being like, holy shit, my face is so itchy right now. Then that passes and the next thing comes and you're just kind of like noticing everything that's happening. And you realize that your brain is so used to having something to attach to that it'll create it. Exactly. Try to remove it. Yeah. So, yeah, to tie it up in a nice little bow, no, I don't have any sort of, I think it really pays to do a little bit of, um, exercise like a little bit of stretching or you know lifting weights or whatever before you go in just because quite often we'll get this like stressed out corporates coming in right out of work as you were describing before so you finish work you're on the tram here you know it's packed or whatever you walk in here and you're like oh it smells so nice in here it's so nice and relaxing but then you get in the tank you've probably got at least an hour of processing before your brain clears or switches off, you know. So, that's about the only thing I like to do. Like, if I'm going to go in for a longer session, I'll have a nice long stretch, you know, go for a bit of a walk and then jump in and just stay still. Has has there been something for you that you found kind of works or doesn't work? Like, are you an intention setter? Uh, no, I'm not. Um I remember speaking to you early on about that float that you had and not moving mm. and that was a really good anchor for me. That was enough. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that when you – I mean, I, one of the main reasons that I first started to float was because I was starting to meditate um, after beginning yoga mm. and – I liked the idea of it removing some of the distractions that I was encountering while I was trying to meditate, just sat somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, removing noise and also the aching of having to sit cross-legged. Um, and then you get into a tank and then your brain just creates new distractions. All you, your, your nose is incredibly itchy, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and... It's weird when I first get in, it's sort of like I can notice a few different stages of my brain. The first thing that happens is that I'm um, physically distracted. You think that you're itchy or you think you need to stretch your fingers in a particular way. And then when you move away from that, then your brain starts to create lists. So, you get mental distractions and mm-hmm. you start thinking about all of this stuff that needs to happen in the upcoming week or and then when I kind of don't engage with that either, it's it's like my brain saying, oh, well, then it must be time to sleep. And then I get a real drowsy wave. And then once that passes, if I can 
sort of breathe through all of that and let those stages all happen, then I come out the other side in a really good place. And like I said, every float is so different, but that is sort of the consistent beginning to most of my floats. And then what happens after that could be anything. Sometimes that sweet spot lasts for the duration of the float. Other times I'm out of it in 10 minutes and I sort of go back through all of those steps again. Mm. Um, Does Will the start of the float, will that sometimes be, you know, the um, you know, the physical distraction, the mental distraction? Can that be, you know, could you be feeling your body for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, then the list start, then or I've, is it usually I've had it before ball? that. I get almost to the end of the float and I still haven't got to the sweet spot and I've been agitated for most of it. And yep. it's, I think really early on when I'd have a float like that, I'd be annoyed at myself for sort of not getting my shit together yep. and for letting that happen. But then now I find it more an interesting way to look at what caused that. Yeah. What's happened this week? What did I do this morning? Yep. What was I thinking about before I got in? Um so, I definitely don't have a, a bulletproof plan of how to have a good float. And mm. to be honest, I'm not even really sure at this point what a good float is. <laughs> yeah. I'm convinced that a good float, in my experience, like everything else we're talking about, is being yourself through it. Mm. It really is. Like, I, I meditated too much for a lot of my life. When I, when I got into it in my mid-20s, I went through a period where I was doing crazy long meditations, like six, eight, ten-hour meditations over, you know, a couple, two or three years. I got to the point where I did stop a lot of thought, too much thought. Mm. And I went through a period of my life where I kind of felt a bit brain dead, to be completely honest. And I thought that was the goal, to get to no thought. It was kind of scary in a way. And I ended up having to in a way for a while, like welcome thoughts and use logic and deductive reasoning to fire up my mm. brain again. And I think it's, I want to share that because I think too many people are going in there thinking that there's this crazy carrot being dangled of no thought. I was in that for quite a bit of time and it was in a way a little bit scary mm. and I felt a little bit brain dead for a while. Um, and I think if you follow the current of your life, it'll move you back into areas that you need to balance out. And for me, that was getting back into finance and numbers and I was having to use these faculties again. Mm. And I think like anything else we've talked about, it really is a balanced thing. You can fall into for sure. so many traps in so many of these different things that we're talking about. So for me, a good float is actually being yourself through the whole thing. Um, and if thoughts coming, not necessarily to think that, I shouldn't be. It's being true to yourself through the whole thing. Yeah, just think them. Yeah, you're going to fall into places of deep restoration where, you know, your mind activity ceases and you get filled up with a different type of energy and then there's going to be other things. There might be some practical things that need to flow through your mind. So don't always think that thinking is wrong or that, you know, a hand movement is wrong. It might not be. You might need to kind of do that. So I think... Again, the expect nothing can be as much of a trap as a busy mind. Mm. Um, and I think being true to yourself in the tank and out of the tank. Um, and if for you that float's going to be following your breath, cool. If it's going to be counting, cool. If it's going to be – because, if you know, if there's this kind of narrative in the background that 
this should be nothing or this should be something other than what it is. It's just mental gymnastics. So for me, staying true to yourself in the tank, it sounds weird and a bit fuzzy, but in my experience, it really isn't. If you can just be you in there, it will unfold and take you into deeper parts of yourself. The idea for me too that I have any major control over what's going to happen has gone out the window. So it's a lot easier for me to relinquish that side of my personality because I know even if I went in with a game plan that that's not the way that it works and I'm endlessly fascinated by poking around in my own brain anyway. So it's uh, I get a real kick out of the varied responses that I have in there. And But man, I think like that's that's the cool bit about it now, Scott, is because you have the space to poke you know what I mean? Exactly. And, and kind of going back to what you were saying, Paul, like being yourself in there. If you're someone that's crunching 60-hour weeks, you know, da-da-da-da-da, how on earth do you expect to not be thinking about work when you give yourself an hour, you know, just out of the day, midweek, you know, every now and then we'll get someone come in, their first time float, and they're like, oh, someone in the office said this would be great. And, you know... We always say to them, like, it could be pretty turbulent in there. Like, you know, you, you don't want to kind of pull people off, but at the same time, you kind of want to lower that bar and be like, if you're really stressed out and busy, that's who you are right now. And that's totally cool. But you can't, you're setting a bar so high that you're going to trip yourself up in there. Yeah. You know, like, and this is the thing I say to, people all the time it's like if you've got some stuff going on you it's probably going to come up in there and if it's not coming up in there you know maybe have a think of like um are you kind of pushing that down have you got some band-aids over that you know it, it might take you a couple of floats for that stuff to come to the surface but it's like th- this whole thing around clearing the mind, being still, all of that kind of stuff. It takes years and years of practice to be able to get to that point. If you're juggling like a high-paced corporate job, it's going to take you longer. And it's not because you're like any less equipped than the next guy. It's just like there's only so much room in your brain for things to kind of process. So like if you've got stuff going on all the time across the day, it's just, it's not how it works to sit down and be like, cool, I'm just going to put that stuff over here for a minute. I'm going to relax and then I'll pick that up again when I come out of my yoga class or meditation or whatever. It's just like, it's not the way it works, you know? Yeah, my floats while I was still working were very different, but they were still really helpful. Just even if I still had a really busy mind, it was still an escape. Mm. So, even though your brain's processing all of these things, I was finding that even if my brain was, you know, spinning at 100 miles for the entire float, a lot of the stuff that it would sort out was probably stuff that I needed to sit down and have a good think about anyway. For sure. And so, it was giving me, even though I, I wasn't necessarily coming out all dazed and feeling completely rejuvenated it was giving me an hour of darkness and silence and no telephone and and i was getting that you know 
slotted into my work week, which was still really beneficial. So sure. it wasn't I wasn't coming into it in a state that was enabling me to completely relax and I wasn't, you know, having those moments of, of no thought. But it was kind of the first steps of getting towards that, which mm. was still still really helpful. Yeah. I think um it's a lot of the time only going to be helpful if you have that mindset. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like you're Scott and like you kind of like got that under control. So I think like for sure and that's why it's it's so funny because they're the, you know, they're like the people that need the float in inverted commas, you know, because you're like you need to clear some space for the other shit that's going on in your life. But at the same time, it's like if you're thinking about work the whole time, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because like that's all that's going on in your life right now. Yeah. So like what do you, th- you know, what else do you th- want to think about? Well, I, yeah, I was coming out of, of sessions with resolutions to things or even just just because so much was happening at once mm. that, you know, there were things that I needed to wrap my head around that needed time and the tanks were actually helping with that. So, For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I think that's another like huge misconception and one that, um, you know, kind of needs to be given a little time is just that like, you know, it's not just for relaxation, spiritual development, mm. all that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like they're byproducts of what you're doing in there, which is just letting things unravel, you know, like, and and I feel like it, it's the only way to really do it. Like, yoga's great, going to the gym's great, you can blow off a lot of steam, but I know from personal experience, especially when I was a little bit younger, like, lifting weights for me was a bit of a, um, first of all, like a vanity thing, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to look good. Um, like as to why, they're probably the yeah. things that I was covering up by like lifting the weights. But when you sit down and you stay still um, as kind of a like way of balancing out that movement, that's when you're processing, you know what I mean? I, I think um, the like corporate things funny because like you know you get a lot of corporate guys you know fucking playing squash or whatever and it's like yeah you literally can as you were saying when you first started yoga like you can pick up work like that little part of your brain stick that in the locker with your suit and tie and stuff and you can go out smash your body play a bit of squash or whatever and then you're like oh cool i wasn't thinking about that for a bit Mm. pick it back up and put it in it's just like meditation totally different ball game you know because it's like you're putting your mind in the locker with your suit and tie and all of that kind of stuff all the shit that you've accumulated like you're sitting in it and i think um that's the funny thing like i hear a lot of people say i've tried meditating and it's just not for me and i'm like i can't buy that anymore you know what i mean it's like well yeah of course it's for you like meditation doesn't have to be sitting on a fucking cushion in the lotus position with your eyes shut meditating can be walking if you surf it can be you know that um all sorts of stuff like you know it's just kind of being like right there in whatever you're doing um 
that is tough. I think for me, when I first started meditation, if I was really physically wound up, Mm. it was something that I really, really struggled with. It wasn't so much mentally, but if I had energy that needed to be burnt, telling my body to just sit still and, you know, I'd have so much momentum built up from work and I'd still be, you know, running on all of this adrenaline. And so, to then sit and just have your body do nothing, mm. it was that was the thing that was really difficult for me to, to – that was the thing that I needed to conquer. So, yep. it's – um, I know they say that if you can't sit for 10 minutes, you need to sit for five hours, but yep. it's really difficult. It's to, like, yeah, that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I think it's not just – the other thing too that I found with meditation was that it's a lot, for, at least for me, it was a lot more difficult to see a tangible effect. Mm-hmm. Going to a sweaty yoga class and pushing myself for 90 minutes, at the end, I'd have a real flush of energy, you know, I'd have burnt off some negativity, I'd have a clear mind. Mm-hmm. and Clear if, mind, hard body. Yeah. And if I, if I went back at you in the mirror. <laughs> If I went to, you could see me because I was a foot higher than yeah. everybody with my terrible <laughs> flexibility. Um, if you, if you do, if I was going, say, consistently for a couple of weeks, and then I'd miss a week, when I'd, I'd really notice it in my body mm-hmm. that I was that I wasn't, you know, getting that flush. Mm-hmm. But then when I started meditating and I'd meditate every day for two weeks, and then life would get in the way and I'd miss it for a week, mm-hmm. I'd be trying to analyze well what. Am I more stressed this week? Am I is something different about me? And because my brain is always trying to, you know, define the effect and measure everything to to find the best way forward, that was something that was a little bit I was finding it hard to get a grasp on in the beginning. Yeah. And I think one of my friends told me which really stuck with me was that it's accumulative. It's it's about having a practice that's consistent and that it's not it, – it slowly builds and slowly tapers off again. So, yeah. if you just miss – if you if you're meditating for months on end and then you miss one morning, there's not going to be this drastic change in your, in your day. Yeah. And so, coming back into the tanks was something that helped me feel that sort of flow again, I think. Nice. Um, something that I was just thinking about before, Paulie, like when you were – saying about your meditation, how you went hard in the, in the earlier years. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear about that because I don't think we've ever really – we've gone deep on a few things but not really that um, – the kind of initial part of that um, journey for you. Like what was the meditation like when you first started out because I know coming from that background of – you know, footy where it's like um, head over the ball, put your body on the line, all of that kind of stuff. Were you? Did you take that kind of um, tact with your meditation? Was it kind of like a, all right, I'm going to do this the longest and the hardest and the deepest for, you know, because that's just how I do it? Or was it more an ease-in thing for you? At the start, I can remember my first ever meditation. Mm-hmm. I did it pretty stock standard. I set my alarm for 20 minutes and followed my breath and I actually had a pretty powerful experience the first time. Nice. So, I was pretty lucky with that, um, which I won't go right into. But 
from there, I kind of just ebbed and flowed with it a bit. I didn't structure it too much. Yeah. Um, I think my personality predisposes me to throw myself fully into something mm. and it's whatever I'm doing, whether that's whatever, I'll, I'll go for it. And it, that did happen with meditation a bit. Um, there was a bit of a tipping point though where like a, like a yearning developed through it, mm. like a, a curiosity that was kind of, I was so drawn to. Um, so that's what really got me on the long stints. I wasn't trying to prove anything to anyone else or myself. I was so compelled to find answers to some questions that I had, existential questions about what what is this all about? Like what, you know, the big ones, what yeah. is God? I'm sick of reading books about what other people think does or doesn't exist or what it's about. I wanted to really, if it exists, I want to find it. And that kind of is what started those longer sessions. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I probably won't go more into that now, oh, but okay. we got some time. No, oh, I don't really want to, but I definitely, um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting period of my life. Um, and it's not really something that you can give as a, uh, what is it when you give a prescription for something? I think, Meditation and the way that I was doing it, it was very much a calling of me, yeah. sort of. It was an itch that I had to scratch. Um, and I think everyone just has to follow that. Again, I was just being myself. I wasn't following a textbook. I wasn't trying to prove something to anyone. I was looking for answers myself. And if you're compelled to do that, go for it. And if you're not, don't go for it. I think that for me, what I'm learning more and more with this stuff is just being yourself is what it's all about. It's a, And again, it's so funny. I feel like life in so many ways brings you back to very simple, basic things. Um, but, ex but you're a different person. You don't end up at the same point as the same person. You end up back at what may look like the same starting point but you're qualitatively a completely different hmm. person. So um, I want to get more into you with, I want to take the attention off me. Basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> with your job, do you developed a bit of identity around it by the sound yeah, of it. Definitely. And it's kind of, you derived a fair bit from that. How are you going in finding out about yourself and who you really are? Do you feel a bit naked and vulnerable? Like how's that kind of yeah, going definitely. Um, it was like we were saying before of people wanting to know what the plan is. That I think also because given what it – I mean everybody around me knew what I was putting into the company and so when it was talked about that it might be ending, I think people thought, well – yeah, sure, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if you pull that off or we'll see when that happens or we'll believe it when we see it. Um, and I guess for 10 years, they'd only seen me pushing in one direction. Mm -hmm. And so to then, one, actually actually move away from it and then two, not jump straight back into something else has raised a few eyebrows. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is... 
it's great because I've given myself space to find out what the next step will be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, even for me, it'll get to a point where that there needs to be a next step. And mm-hmm. so this year was fine because it was it was dealing with a lot of um yeah, a lot of the fallout from from winding down the business. But I know for myself that once that's completely done with and I've got no more responsibilities in that respect, that I'll I'll need some sort of game plan or something to throw myself into because um yeah, once once the energy levels are back up again, it'll need to go somewhere. So that's when I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself with that just yet. Um, and I'm hoping that it'll find me rather than me consciously trying to decide what the next step will be. Yep. It happens through – I really like that the crossovers from just being exposed to new people. Um, and so, yeah, I don't I – don't, I don't know where I'm going at this point. But yep. the, yeah, it's such an exciting time. I mean, it's, it's just a, so many possibilities and so many ways to navigate yourself through it. Um, there's, I think there's a uh, – it would be very easy to step back into that world, mm-hmm. to be – to get a little bit unsettled or to be – yeah, to, to feel like, okay, that's enough – I've sort of I've poked my head out this side, and then now run back into the known. Um, could you do it though, and still be true to yourself? Is there is there a part of you that goes, well, maybe I could bring in what I've learnt and kind of go for it again, but in a? I think there's a lot of the a lot of the skills that I needed to 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 pull that off. I can use better elsewhere. Um, so there's a lot of really negative sides to the industry that don't sit well with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think now that I'm I'm out, I'm out, and so it really will be a completely new direction when when that finds me. So anything bubbling away? Any any lots any ideas? Of, lots of little things, but nothing that. I'd be prepared to put into words <laughs> just yet. So, it's- yeah, because I mean, like, just from our chats after your floats and stuff, it's not like you're sitting on your laurels, just you know, waiting for the universe to you know, no, no, sit something in your lap. Um, something that we've had a little bit of a chance to chat about after your floats is um, what you're doing up in New South Wales. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell? Uh, yeah, sure. The microphone, what, uh, what you've been doing up there. I think like it's something that I like. I would want to know a little bit more about, but I think a very interesting way of, you know, peeling back those layers of the onion. Yeah, so I I spent about three and a half weeks uh, on two courses out in the bush in New South Wales. Um, so... They were facilitated by an American guy called Tom Brown Jr. Um, so I spent spent a bit over a week in Hawks Nest, just north of Sydney, doing a nature awareness and tracking course, and and then another two and a half weeks doing a, a philosophy course up behind Coffs Harbour. So 
it, it was the thing that appealed to me about that was again just the escape. The there was no there's no running water, no power, no phone reception. Um, it was a big course, so there was ninety odd odd students there. But it's that real village vibe where you know you um eating around the communal campfire and all camping together out in the bush and it was um yeah the the first course was was just understanding your environment and learning how to track different animals through through the surrounds and what you can glean from that understanding water sources and yeah that's how the environment interacts with i found that very interesting because my first thought when you were saying that was like okay so it's like a bush survival thing and immediately i was like okay so you like you know find a couple of possums you kill them skin them make a little coat yeah. you can eat the meat all that kind of stuff but you were like no no no, it's just more about yeah so know, we didn't actually it was just the um, it was very uh, theory heavy in the beginning, just understanding what you can glean from a simple set of tracks, understanding whether it's left or right foot dominant, whether it's male or female, whether the mood, whether it's hungry, whether it's stressed, how fast it's moving, whether it's carrying an injury, all of these crazy things. So it was a it was mind blowing to watch watch those guys in action. And then the second course was a philosophy course, which uh, had a strong meditation component, mm-hmm. and was dealing as well with getting back in touch with intuition, which was a really interesting thing for me because I think I'd tricked myself into thinking that I was intuitive, whereas what it was actually was that I was just very observant and using the power of deduction. <laughs> so um, they were they were talking about how a lot of the time people using using their intuition is dismissed when people say, oh, I've got a bad feeling about that or my gut tells me, or if you can't quantify that with any data, it's sort of people move away from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that that is a real skill and that it's it's a real, that's something that's that's true. And it's something that can really be challenge, um, channeled and, and used in our day-to-day lives. So, we did a lot of a lot of different activities with trying to turn the analytical brain off and just feel things. Mm-hmm. Having splitting people up into pairs and having one sneak up on the other, and you having to raise your hand when you could feel their presence behind you and right. things like that. Which was anyone like cheating a little bit, or were they? You know, was anyone getting it just wildly off? Their intuition was so lost in the bush somewhere they just didn't get it. I really struggled. Gotcha. I really, I find it very difficult to turn the analytical brain off. Mm-hmm. And with those type of activities, um, the first, so when, so my part, I'd be the one that was having to sense the presence. And so you'd turn around and they'd be sneaking up in the sand behind you. But my brain would straight away start doing things like, well, he's about 25 meters away. He's going to move at about, you know, it'll take him a second per step, 25, 30 seconds, he'll be behind You're me. You're tracking it. At, well, that's – and I found that if I concentrated on not doing that, 
I just sort of felt nothing. I was, it's like my energy was going into turning my brain off and then there was, it was very difficult to, um, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult to be trying to feel, (laughs) Right, you know, (laughs) it's a real contradiction. So yeah, for sure. Like trying to relax or yeah. Mm. So it's, um, I think generally like Paul was saying that he really throws himself into things. I'm very much the same and very proactive. And for those types of things, it's not just sheer effort that gets you there, which is, I think, where my biggest, I wouldn't call it stumbling block, but my where I'm focusing my attention at the moment is because that's not something that I can just do it 10 more times or 10 times harder and mm. get a better result. It's not sure. just through punishing myself that I'm going to get there. Right? It's like I need to, in fact, step back from that. Yeah. So, uh, it was a really – and we were – we spent 10 days all together for that second course. And so, you're completely isolated from the rest of the world. And that in itself is a good way to start to wind down and to, yeah, to – um to start to fill into those things a bit more mm. and just the the village vibe and everybody it was it was a wonderful experience um but i'm still exploring yeah intuition and it's i still haven't quite figured out my way my way through that but it's a fascinating thing to experiment with it's funny that um i mean i think it's awesome and very important but isn't it funny that that is something that needs to be taught, you know? And I think it's becoming more and more, you know, um, it's becoming more and more of a necessity, you know, because like we're moving into this age where robots are going to be doing a lot of the shit that, you know, we Mm. were paid to do. So it's like people are going to need to be more um, tuned into their intuition and their feeling, you know, and and that kind of thing. So... One of the examples that they gave, because you could see there was a healthy amount of skepticism within the group trying to get through a lot of these tasks. Some people are super sensitive in that area and it just comes to them without second nature and then other people really struggle. And I think for some of the people that were trying to get their head around what what was this energy or what is intuition, they gave the example of when you you're sitting on the couch at home watching TV and the thought goes through your head, oh, I should probably put the dog out. And before you move, the dog lifts its head or gets up and runs out of the room. And it's because animals are still very sensitive to think to those energies. And so, yeah, it was interesting watching people sort of start to embody it once they, once they believe that it was a real thing, then it's like they can start Okay, no, I, I, that's a tangible thing that I've seen happen before. That's enough for me to go. Okay, well, I'll maybe I can put try to work towards that. Or mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's funny was that that whole thing that you're just saying about belief. So wind back to maybe you know halfway through your career, going on something like a tracking course you would have been like, why the fuck am I going to waste my time going to do that, right? Or the intuition or the the floating or the yoga. I think like there's that, there's, 
this huge like void between not believing in something like meditation and then actually experiencing it and and what it can do for you. I think that that's a huge thing, something that we run into, um, you know, blocks here like running the float center. You know, you see on the Facebook people are like, oh, well, couldn't you just, you know, throw some Epsom salts in the bath and stuff like that? And you're like, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. And like, you know, back when I was like a teenager or whatever, I would have been like, why on earth would you do that? I know you were the same, Paul, like when um, Nick first started Beyond Rest back in Perth, Paul was, you know, a skeptic. Um, and I think as kind of like lofty and esoteric as it sounds, like if there's not even a little hair of belief that something might work for you, it's not going to work because you're like almost putting your energy into it not working. Yeah. And that's also the same for people that are just going through the motions, like that aren't connecting with it in any way. Mm. They just, they collect all of these different components for their spiritual lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but get the crystals and the yeah, exactly. And stuff but like that. if they're just going through the motions, then y- yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. You're missing all the cool stuff. Mm. But yeah, I just think that that idea of believing in something, it's like never are you going to sit down on your meditation cushion or jump in the tank or or go to yoga. Very rarely will you have this like transformative experience. You know, if you don't have a certain amount of openness to that thing that you're doing having some sort of effect on you. Like if you jump in thinking like this is going to be bullshit, it's probably going to be bullshit. I mean, look, every now and then, Paulie, we'll get someone who comes in and you can – they're one way when you meet them in reception and they get their socks completely blown off. You know, and I think that has a lot to do with it just being the right time for them. You know, they're like, yeah, fuck it. I'll go in and try this like woo-woo hippie floating stuff. But um, yeah, I think that's so important across everything. Just, you know, even in like the corporate world, like if you don't believe in the product you're selling or whatever, then how do you expect anyone else to, Mm. you know, like it's not going to serve you if you don't believe in it. So, yeah, I think that's massive and a huge block for a lot of people like wanting to move into this wanting to slow themselves down a little bit and find out a little bit more about themselves it's just like it's one thing to have that you know the catalyst to be like okay i'm going to go try it but it's another thing to be open to it working not working it being a bit scary it being really relaxing and beautiful you know like that that belief kind of has to be there you know, and I think that that is a little bit of a, to use your words, like stumbling block for a lot of people. It's just like they don't want to believe in something because then it makes them a little bit like. Mm. Some know? sometimes though, you can be a cynic coming in, but all you need is just one little flicker of something weird to happen, or one little nugget of, <laughs> you know, yeah, for you to go, huh? Maybe there is something to this, or, sure. and then you've kind of got the thread to follow it in further. Yeah. I agree. I was thinking a similar analogy to just a light beam into a dark room in the sense of something that draws you in there. You can be skeptical, you, you know, your, your mind can be fighting it, but there's an agent 
in life, well, you know, you might call it life or God or whatever, but there's, there's something, there's an agency that wants you to heal, that wants you to grow, that wants you to move into deeper parts of yourself that's in operation. So the odds are stacked in your favor. It only needs a glimmer of curiosity. So it's not like it's a 50-50 thing. You're walking in there with an agency I call and call it an agency, but just there's there's something inherent in the life we live that wants you mm. to find out and explore yourself. And, you know, that's we talk about the power of silence because I think silence is another word for that agent. Mm. So when you're putting yourself in that in that tank without a phone to distract you or an email or you're opening up, you know, you, you're opening to this to this agency that can kind of really, you know, get to work on you. So um, the odds are stacked in your favor that if you just jump in there, yeah, that something can happen that rocks your certainty of that this is bullshit, basically. And I think just for people to put themselves in the position that they're here is usually enough of a gap to let something through once they're in the tank. Mm-hmm. Then there's gift cards. Okay, yes, which I have done that to people before. Yeah, and it's always funny when people come <laughs> in with gift cards, like 100% on board with what both of you just said, but then there's gift cards. Yeah. So like, you need a yeah. three-pack minimum. That's need like a three-pack, three everyone. Yeah. Three. If you're out there listening, you need a three-pack. Yeah. Um, it's like gift cards for tandem skydives. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like people come in and it's almost it can almost be a little bit of a like backhanded thing it's like oh yeah i got this gift card like so and so someone's kind of having a go at you yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like oi you mate you're a fucking rack <laughs> go give this a crack you're not fun to be around yeah and <laughs> and it's funny cuz usually if people bring themselves in there's like that slight bit of belief there or or readiness to like undertake something but when someone else brings you in to do something like this, it's always a little bit interesting. Like, I mean, I like to think that people always, you know, have an experience in there, like, you know, whatever happens. But um, it's funny, like, and it's been a real lesson for me, especially like going through all this like spiritual, you know, blah, 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 is that like people have to have that little glimmer there already otherwise it's like smashing your head against a brick wall you know what i mean and we see it here semi often like people will come in with partners or friends you know oh like you know i tried this and you'll love it and then you know i won't every now and then you'll be sitting out here with two people that have just floated the one that bought the other person in loved it you know, like yeah. spoke to God, all sorts of crazy shit. And then the other person that they bought in was like, wasn't into it at yeah. all, you know? So, it's funny like- Are the people that are not into it, is it the the claustrophobic sort man, of- I, I think it's just- It's not productive. What's yeah. the point? Yeah, you it's know, not productive. It's so drilled into us like, you know- we need to be using our time productively or whatever product productivity looks like to you, whether that's earning money or – but it's sort of like well, I could be doing – Output. Being more yeah. practical. And they're in there wiggling around, you know, because it's like I think 
in the in the very very early stages and i say this because this was my first experience as well like when you're in there and you're like this isn't good there's not much that can't be good about it depending on the way that you're looking at the thing right it's like you're in water that's like warm enough to make sure that you don't freeze to death and that you don't turn into a little steam dimmy in there you know it's like the water's good it's dark which is nice to some people that can be really confronting i get that too but they come out and they're like just wasn't for me i couldn't get comfortable i couldn't switch my mind off just not for me and i'm like then the next step of that i guess is to ask well why yeah you know like and and not to say you're broken and like this this works and it's you but it's like why couldn't you be in there and usually it's to do with like overworking there's stuff going on maybe like super repressed deep down or or whatever but yeah i I think like there's all these like blockages layers on top and and it's kind of like why and then you know you always like to see them walk out just kind of being like okay maybe i'll give that another crack it is i think if you're in there and you decide that you're not having a good time you're not having a good time. There's, there's, there's a long. It's a, it's a huge thing to stay. Yeah. Having if your brain already decides this is not for me, or I'm not sure about this, or uh-huh. you lose all perception of time, and it just creeps along, and then that's when you start to get really agitated. Mm. I had a really, I don't know if you remember, the first time I'd been in for a bunch of one hour floats and was really comfortable with that, and. I'd just finished, I'd wrapped the company up and so I could come in midweek and on my way in, you said, hey, do you want me to leave you in a little bit longer today? And for me and the whole year of yes thing, it was just fantastic to be able to say yes to that. But I didn't catch how much longer I was going to be in for. And so, I went into the pod not knowing what a bit extra was going to (laughs) be. And so, I'd had an hour all of these hour floats already, which I was completely comfortable with. And then I got into this undetermined float and within 10 minutes I was a mess because I was thinking all of these crazy things were going through my head. How much longer is longer? Is he going to leave me in for two hours? What about if he forgets to set the timer? I wonder how long I could be in here before they'd realize. And all of that was happening. And so, I think- Which wasn't my intention. It was just sloppy work by me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, you could have very well told me how long and I just missed it. But yeah. I just, I got in not knowing how long I was going to be in. And it didn't even, that didn't even occur to me until I got in the tank. Right. And so, I got in and sort of expected all of the normal things to happen. And then straight away, just like beam straight into my head. I wonder how much longer. And I was- determined not to get out early but yeah. it was something that I fought with the entire time I was I was conscious of how long I'd been in there for the entirety of the float oh, brutal and <laughs> but that I mean with my bizarre brain I really liked that having that to unpack afterwards mm. like all it took was for me to not know and it, like you were saying like it's really quite pleasant in there mm-hmm. all of the other you know, parameters were the same. It's nice. And it was just the fact that I didn't know how long I was going to be in there that all of a sudden now it was uncomfortable. Yeah. 
And so that is nothing physical. There's nothing about the environment that's changed. It was just purely a mental thing. Yeah, right. So for people that are going in on their first time and coming out and saying, it's not for me, I couldn't get comfortable. <laughs> if you, it just, yeah, it reminds me of me being in there and not being able to steal anything for, for an hour and a half. For sure. Mm. I guess like, <sighs> Whether it's that or something a lot deeper, you know what I mean? I I guess it's that um, inability to surrender whatever your situation is, you know? And this is the thing, like, you can't ever judge someone for jumping out early because you don't know what they've been doing before they walk through the door, you know what I mean? You can't be like, oh, yeah, this guy guy seems pretty cool. Like, you know, God knows what's going on in people's brains while they're in there, but yeah, it's it's funny. It's like you can jump out of that float and be like, it was really uncomfortable because I didn't know how long I was going <laughs> to be in there for and I was just in there stressing. I'll often ask people, um, so what like what what happened in there? Like why wasn't it? And a lot of the time it's I don't know, I just I just couldn't be in there. I just couldn't be in there. And every now and then I, I think you get like a bit of a feel for people's experience in there, would you say, Paulie? Like having worked here for a little while, like you'll, you'll never know what went on in the tank for someone. But, you know, a lot of the time when people are like, I don't know, I just couldn't be in there, I believe them because I'm like, I don't think there's this one glaring thing that's just like, get out now or you're going to start thinking about X yeah. or Y, you know? So, it's funny because, like, when when you have that chat with someone, oh, I don't know, I'm like, I've been there before, you know what I mean? Like, my float was an abs, my first one was a dog's breakfast. And, like, f- for me, I, I got in expecting huge things. I, you know, thought it was going to be, like, partying, you know, like, tripping out. I thought it was going to be amazing and I was just laying in there with my mind just turned up to full Mm. and I was just like what the fuck is going on here like this is meant to be great and relaxing and magical but it was just like an absolute mess and I got out halfway through I got some salt in my eye and I was like whatever this this is not for me that was my (laughs) thought this is not for me this is not for me and people would ask you know oh what was it like and I was like yeah you know but in the back of my mind I'm thinking well it was that because you your mind was going crazy the whole time and it didn't meet your expectation you know so yeah i think it's it's just such an interesting thing like chatting to people afterwards kind of getting a little bit of an insight as to why they may or may not enjoy the session you know and just getting to know people like yourself you know over like weeks of chatting and and seeing people like just exploring more and more you know it's a funky thing scott (laughs) i certainly haven't figured it out yet but well neither have we mate that's the funny okay scotty what do you most like about yourself and what do you least like about yourself jesus (laughs) little wrap-up questions here famous ones infamous one uh the time geez you really yeah Spark, when is Paul going to ask those three questions? <laughs> Fast forward to the Enough end. Enough about the flying. <laughs> uh, I like my own curiosity. 
I like exploring. I like, yeah, exploring my own brain, other people's personalities. I like just being open to what's out there. And I think that's something that and spontaneity were two things that I had to really cut back on through work. They were things that really I had to bottle. And so, um, yeah, it's it's really nice to be able to go back and back out into the world and, um, yeah, explore the, those paths again. Um, least like. Go on, mate. <laughs> I should have answered that one first so it doesn't look like I'm struggling to find one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were wondering which one you're going to pick. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an asshole. I've got five, but I've only yeah. got one to choose. <laughs> um, I think I'm sometimes pragmatic to a fault. So, again, talking about intuition and getting out of your head so much, I think I it was something that I was, I was that way inclined already, very heady and very analytical. And sometimes the pragmatism oversteps the mark and kind of pushes out empathy and things where I just look at things in the facts as opposed to the full rounded picture. And I think through the way that I ran the company, I was honing that skill even more. That's what that's what got business done. And so I had 10 years of really hammering that. And so now I've come out the other side aware that that is had so much momentum behind it and trying to step back from that and, yeah, feel as opposed to just think, which is, like we were saying before, a really difficult thing to try to do. So I'm exploring a bunch of different ways to do that at the moment. But... Yeah. Cool. New question. What's going to happen when you die? Is that it? Done? Oh, this is a new question. I like this one. That I have no idea. Um, I find it – I really enjoy listening to other people answer those types of questions because I find it amazing that people can think that they know or that they – I love hearing people talk about the way people's brains work or about what's going to happen in the spiritual world or what's – and I just – I find all of the options really fascinating, but I also really feel like the, it's an unknowable thing. Um, so, just take a stab, mate. It's all right. No. <laughs> oh, you want something concrete? No, yeah. not at all. You want is something there, quantifiable and concrete. A, there's a tally on the wall yeah. with everybody's. No, um, first time I've asked it. That's I, a good one, Paul. I mean, I ask it to others, but yeah. not on this one. I world. really believe that there's something bigger than us at play. Um, and I'm still considering the way that all is strung together, but it's sort of... Yeah, like people make those comments like, I don't believe in God, but I'm scared of him or things like that. It's, I don't know what, how to quantify what the entity or whatever you want to call it is, but I just feel like that there's definitely 
something that there's like a communal consciousness or a global consciousness. So I don't know how that's going to play out once we move into the next. So there is a next there? I think so. Cool. Okay, Margatsny. That's Instagram spelt backwards. <laughs> my, own little, my own little segment. Um, so, Margatsny, I'm asking you for what is your Instagram? I don't have it, but I'm obviously aware that you post, you know, good parts of your life. You understand when, what it is. Yeah, <laughs> and it sounds pretty cool. And it's valuable when it's used well, like anything. Um, But I think it's also damaging in a sense that it gives a false interpretation that you're only seeing 1% of the context of someone's life. So I asked the Margatsny question, which which is, what would be on your Margatsny feed when things are are going really bad for you? Because I think this is all about this whole chat and why we're doing this is to just have open, real conversations about when things are going great and when they're not. So the Margatsny is um, when things aren't going well for you, what does that look like for you? Margatsny. Yeah, I guess that's, there's two different parts to that because there's sort of um, pre-finishing work, Scott, and post-finishing work, Scott. So, um, I think post-finishing, even though this having space has been really good and being able to explore a lot of different things has been great, it's been a little bit disorientating not because my th- whole um, – idea was to not have a plan. There are some days where I get up where I don't have anything concrete that needs to happen and I find that really disorientating and I'm sort of in a battle with myself to, well, do I now go and schedule a whole bunch of things to do so that I feel like that I've had a productive day or so that that day wasn't wasted? Mm -hmm. And when I try and step away from that, I get a little bit lost and then I might get to the end of the day and feel really shitty because, well, what did I do? Like, that's so great. You've made it to this point where you've got this space to explore new things and then today you didn't really do anything. You've just bummed around the house and, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's – I think that is the biggest thing that I'm sort of – because, I mean, to be honest, at the moment I'm getting to explore a whole bunch of things that I've wanted to for so long. So – I'm getting a real kick out of having a lot of positive influence at the moment. Um, But, yeah, pre the end of work, there was plenty of things because there wasn't anything to go on the Instagram because I was just working or sleeping. So, (laughs) just a bunch of paperwork. Yeah, so it's not like it was just more the absence of anything rather than there being something specific that was negative. Mm Cool. Margatsdy. You like that? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I like it too. Big question. Nick's big, big question. question. Nick's big question. Um, how old were you when you first jerked off? Right. That's is that we should have opened with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, the big question. The big question is something, something, something about a study. They did a study. Yeah, yeah, what were you saying? So there I've I've asked Nick what where the study is or the evidence of it but I haven't got it yet. But there was a study done recently 
of people on their deathbed being asked about their biggest regret of their life. Um, and I think it was 75 plus percent said that it was not living a life that was true to themselves, being living a life that was in part dictated by their parents, partners, society expecting something of them and they lived in that band. Yeah. So in the context of that question, how do you think you're living your life? Well, I guess even if I wasn't thinking of it on such grand terms, that was a big part of stepping back from the way that I was living. So I don't quite know what my path is at this point, but I'm happy that it's open for my choosing and that it's not being dictated to me by something else. Um, I think something though that's important is that we're very lucky. We've got a lot of abundance now and, you know, we're living in a great country and we're, we're not at a point where we're struggling to put food on the table. Well, obviously some people are, but I mean, the, we've got the option now of seeking happiness over function you know, people now are looking to be um, wanting a job that's fulfilling, whereas before it was, well, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so I think it's given us a lot more space to consider those things, but it's a little bit of a, a dual-edged sword, you know, it, it cuts both ways. So I think I'm lucky that I've got a bit of space now to explore what the next steps are, but it's not it's not that simple for everybody. So a lot of people are saying to me, "Oh, you're so brave from moving away from that when it was right at its peak." But I'm really lucky that I've got enough of a support to be able to do that. Some people that some people quit their jobs much earlier without a, without any financial backing, without a supportive family and say, "No, no, I'm going to my time is more important to me than my than money and so I'm just I'm going to volunteer in my friend's florist twice a week and I'll make ends meet however I may. That there is a real struggle, you know. So, yeah, I think just going to take me on a whole other tangent. So <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it is, but you've you got to play the hand you dealt. You are. So, but I think if you – the more freedom you can create for yourself, the easier it is then to decide what your true self is. Mm -hmm. So, if you, you know, if you've got dependents, if you've got other people that you have to care for with all of that, it's all very well to say, well, this is what I imagine my true self is, but it also has to support the other aspects of your life. So, mm -hmm. I don't think it's just one, I don't think you can go into it fully that way. You can, you can live a life that supports sports the people around you and still be true um but it's yeah i think that that's an ongoing battle for everybody to kind of find the path in between those two aspects mm. yeah I good agree. answer knocks it out of the park scott <laughs> i agree i cool. think um scott would almost be in the 75 percent had you not shut the company down like i to go off what you were saying before about um you know, having the like bravery to like detach and that kind of thing. Like, man, in someone 
of your position, I think it is super brave, you know, regardless of the support or whatever, because I think 75% of people would have stayed in it because the money's good and this is what I'm doing and what else am I going to do, you know? I don't have any regrets for the time that I spent there. Mm. So, I think a lot of people that I cross paths with now talk about why I didn't get out earlier or if it wasn't serving me, then what was I doing there in the first place? But I lived it and breathed it for a really long time and I loved it. It was it was the focal point of my whole life. It was just, it became unsustainable and it, I felt like that that chapter had finished. Mm. So, I'm really happy for the for everything that I got out of it in that time. And now I'm also really happy that it's kind of given me some buoyancy to move into into the next stage. So, yeah, it, I, I don't – it wasn't in me to continue much longer anyway, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's It was – the end point was coming. So, it's – um yeah, it was, it was good while – it was there and and I'm really grateful for it and now I'm even more excited for whatever life has to offer yeah that's it right on well thanks for coming in mate thanks for having me catch you soon thanks for anyone that's listening (laughs) 